had I had uh, some mixed feelings about the last scene. Uh, the last scene. Tell so, me. Oh, we have to talk about it now. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> Everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai, and this is the point of the show where generally Jacob comes on and says, I am Jacob Man Christensen. But he's not going to do that today because it is our special guest episode today. Jacob is taking some time off somewhere, whatever he's doing. I'm sure he's doing great. Um, but today I'm really excited that we get to have a special guest on the show and get to talk to Jana Lacha Milborn. Jana is a friend of mine, friend of Jacob's from back in college, and I'm so excited to get to talk to you today, Jana. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to just take a second and kind of let folks know what, what you do in the world and where you're coming from? Uh, yes. So I live in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, most people would want that to be Missouri. I'm so sorry to disappoint, <laughs> but right across the bend. Um, yeah, so I direct at a children's theater called First Act Theater Arts. Recently, it changed from CYT Kansas City. Um, so just closed Elf the Musical and about to work on Les Mis. So really excited about that. Nice. No, those are some great shows coming up. <laughs> That's super exciting. And and you're actually, we're, the play we're going to be talking about today, I'm really excited to get to talk about it. It was a new play to me. I hadn't necessarily seen it before. Um, it's The Dining Room by A.R. Gurney. And you actually uh, suggested this play. Uh, what What experience do you have with this play? Where did you find it? Yeah, so uh, my husband and I directed this show together over the summer, and just we hadn't heard of it either, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's got something for everybody. It's it's so good. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited to get to talk about it. it. Has lots of like kind of nostalgia feelings, and also like this kind of magicalness about it. Um, and yeah, so so I'm excited to get to get to kind of delve into it a little bit. Uh, before we do, I want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. Thank you all so much for making this show possible. We are completely supported by our patrons over there. As you know, Jacob and I love getting to do this podcast. We love getting to have people like Jana on this show. Um, alas, it's not a free endeavor. There's a lot of associated costs with running a podcast as well as the time involved. So our patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast make it happen. If you're looking for a way to get involved in the NoScript community, to support the show, whether you're a first-time listener and have been liking what you're hearing with either the themed month over the last month or having guests on the show or just the normal back and forth that Jacob and I have, head on over to Patreon and uh, you'll find a bunch of different tiers over there for as low as $1, $12 over the course of a year. We we like we like to say that uh, we hope you're getting $12 over the course of a year's enjoyment out of the show. Um, it's a great way to help on the podcast. Thank you for checking it out. We'll see you over at patreon.com slash no script podcast. And now we're going to get back into the script here. So uh, do yes, I'm excited. Oh, so so we're gonna do just a little bit of context first for you. Uh, uh, A.R. Gurney is the playwright of this play. Uh, now uh, he got his education 
at, um, I'm just looking through my notes here. He got his education at Yale School of Drama, graduating in 1958, and then he taught humanities at MIT. So a uh, pretty, pretty highly trained uh, individual. He wrote a lot of plays, um, including the one that we're, we're reading today, about kind of Northeastern white American uh, or white Anglo-Saxon Protestant families in the upper Northeast uh, uh, of, of America and, and, and that whole culture, or wasps, as we'll probably be using the phrase occasionally throughout our conversation. Um, so, so this play is no exception. It, it deals with kind of that uh, culture that was in uh, kind of receding in the 1980s, especially the upper middle class uh, families in that region. Um, as far as Gurney himself, he was awarded a number of awards. He had the American Academy of Arts and Letters in 2006, 2007. He had the Penn slash Laura Pell's International Foundation for Theater Award. And he was also awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award in, uh, at the 2016 Obie Awards. So a very well-lauded playwright. I'm excited to get to kind of get into some of his work here. Uh, the play itself is a sort of uh, comedy of manners. Um, it was produced for the first time in 1982, uh, or I'm sorry, 1981 at the Playwrights Horizon Theater and then was moved to the Astor Place Theater in 1982. Um, that production, uh, of, of the people that at least I recognize in the production, William H. Macy was one of the cast members, um, which was exciting to see his name there. And then there was a 1984 film or film for TV that also included Macy and much of the original cast as well. Uh, the show continues to be produced. It's a very producible show. It's a six-hander and uh, six-hander with 50 characters as we're going to kind of get into. So there's a lot of great doubling of roles. It's great for regional houses to do, great for community theaters to do, great for colleges to do because there's a vast variety of ages in the play. I'm excited to get to kind of jump into some of the synopsis of it. Uh, Jenna, would you kind of just give us a little bit of a rundown or a summary of the of the script? Yes, absolutely. So... The play, like you said, is a comedy of manners set in a single dining room where 18 scenes from different households overlap and intertwine. Presumably, each story is focused around a different family during different time periods who has in their possession the same dining room furniture set manufactured in 1898. The stories are about wasp families. Some scenes are about the furniture itself and the emotional attachment to it, while other scenes simply flesh out the culture of the wasps. Overall, it tells the story of the dying and relatively short-lived culture of upper-middle-class Americans and the transition into a much more efficient society with uh, less emphasis on tradition and more emphasis on progress. Some characters are made fun of, as is the culture itself, but there is also a genuine longing for the sense of stability, comfort, and togetherness that the culture provides. Uh, and then I also wanted to read just the back of the playbook, I think, sums it up really well. It says, the play is set in the dining room of a typical well-to-do household, the place where the family assembled daily for breakfast and dinner and for any and all special occasions. The action is a mosaic of interrelated scenes, some funny, some touching, some rueful, which taken together create an in-depth portrait of a vanishing species, the upper middle class wasp. Uh, the actors change roles, personalities, and ages with virtuoso skill as they portray a wide variety of characters from little boys to certain grandfathers and from giggling teenage girls to Irish housemaids. Each vignette introduces a new set of people and events. A father lectures his son on grammar and politics. A boy returns from boarding school to discover his mother's infidelity. A senile grandmother doesn't recognize her own sons at Thanksgiving dinner. A daughter, her marriage in shambles, pleads to return home, and it goes on. Dovetailing swiftly and smoothly, the varied scenes coalesce 
ultimately into a theatrical experience of exceptional range, compassionate humor, and abundant humanity. Mm. Yeah, compassionate humor is like is one of the like hallmarks of this play, I feel like. Absolutely. Cause, yeah, because there's there's a lot to laugh at in this play, and yet there's also like almost a teariness about it or or maybe a nostalgia about it. But like, yeah, how how does that weave its way through in the in the different scenes, that kind of compassionate humor? How does it weave itself? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, I don't I just I feel like as an audience member, you're gonna find something that that you can laugh at and then you might find yourself feeling a little sad too, just depending on what your own experience is in your like family dynamic and how are you, how you were brought up. Um, and I feel like it does a really good job of portraying lots of different um, styles of communication and things like that, or like lack of communication. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question yeah. very well, but Lack of communication, especially in this, there's, there's a high context for the conversation in this play. Like so many of the people have, uh, have assumptions about the way the world works and the way each other work. And I'm thinking of, uh, especially, I think it's like each, so each of the different acts, there's two acts in the play. The first act contains uh, 11 little vignettes that all flow really fluidly, uh, in between each other. Characters from different vignettes will come out early and, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, start their action while another vignette is still finishing up. So there's no like blackouts between them. It's a really fluid sort of, sort of experience. And I think the third one has this, this father character who has just all the rules that he's trying to apply to his family. And he seems to think that they should just be assumed. And yet there's, there's some conflict maybe, or just not following the rules that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool too, because it all centers around this dining room table. Like it says, like, that's not a joke. Like that's for yeah. real. It's just a dining room set and that's all it is. So people come in and out and you ca- you can't really like separate when two scenes are happening at once, they're at that dining room table. And so it creates this really interesting, like almost like a wave is coming in and crashing. And then as it's kind of flowing back into the ocean, another one is coming. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense, but like they're both on stage together and it just uh, flows so well. Yeah, that kind of interplay between the scenes. Another another like kind of great moment of that. There's the scene with a typewriter. One of the one of the kind of more conflictual scenes. Conflictual? That's a word now. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the bigger conflicts on stage, at least, uh, with with this woman who comes on. Uh, I'm trying to think of the. I think it's uh, let's see, maybe Aggie and Michael. Um, no, 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 that's wrong. Um, I'll, I'll find the name in a minute. It's, <laughs> it's Ellie and Howard. I think it's that scene. There it is. Thank you. So yeah, so uh, Ellie is kind of bringing out the typewriter. She's trying to write a term paper and Howard comes in and is like, why are you writing with a typewriter on the table? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is my family's dining room table. Um, but that scene starts at the tail end of another scene where someone, she just like brings out a typewriter in the middle of the scene where someone's still kind of finishing up this complaint about poached eggs not being done, I think. Is yeah, the scene yeah they're finishing up their breakfast and <laughs> yeah. talking about, yeah, the Great Depression, I think, and mm-hmm. politics and... yeah. Yeah, so so let's lean into that dining room theme, just to, or the dining room table theme, uh, especially, and the kind of culture around it, because um, I think that's the kind of receding of culture, or or not the next generation not picking up uh, culture sometimes seems to be mm-hmm. one of the through lines uh, of the play, and it's all centered around their interactions with, especially the table. 
um, mm-hmm. the, the stage directions at the top kind of center the table. Like if nothing else, you have to have a table with six chairs around it. Um, that's your, yeah. that's your only thing really that you need to need to have. There's other things that are helpful, of course. But yeah, what sort of, how does, how does the, I mean, the table interacts in all the scenes. It's the only yeah. kind of constant character. <laughs> I'm thinking especially there's this scene where like the table repair guy comes over. Um, yes. And uh, there's, there's the scene where he kind of gets under the table and there's this like high reverence of the table in general. He's, he's, he's come over and, and the, the woman who owns the table, at least in this vignette, is kind of thinking about, or she's, she's talking about like, this is a fam- famous antique or something, like thinking that it's got some sort of high worth or something like that. And, and the guy's like, oh, look, this was made like, you know, in 1889 or something like that. It's not, not that old. It's not really an antique. Um, and yet there's mm-hmm. this enormous weight still placed on the table um, and the, the kind of importance of it. Even even uh, even the scene with the the kind of two there's there's two high or college students, high schoolers who come home and are just kind of looking to party at the table. Um, even one of them kind of says, what if we had all had our drinks and, you know, smoked smoked our pot here in this room around the table? <laughs> Like, that'd yeah. be kind of fun. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think just the I, I think I'm just wondering how you how you experience the reverence of the table or the the dining room in in throughout the different vignettes of the play. Yeah, well, that scene specifically is so heart wrenching because the two teens are like jealous of the other. It seems like and and unaware of like the dynamic going on in their own home and the way that the other person perceives it. (laughs) And if you haven't read this show, that's a very confusing way of putting it. But, ooh, it's just that, like, if they only knew and if their family only knew and if everyone could just talk openly about how they're feeling. Um, I will say just as a side note, while we were doing this show, it was a drama camp. So they got there on Monday already memorized. And then the show went on that Friday, Saturday. Um, and so it was a a camp from 9am to 6pm every day. And so we ate lunch together and we decided to eat lunch around the dining room table and it created such a great, um, like team dynamic. And they were, we would always start with like a a question that they could all discuss. And it was really cool because it almost seemed like a part of the show in some capacity. Um, Hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of, that sort of like communal work. And I also like what you said around like if only these these sort of characters could just talk to each other um, or like would, would be OK just kind of revealing something about themselves to each other or trusting each other. Um, yeah. Or listening when the person is revealing something about themselves like oof, some of those parent relationships going on or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 My goodness. So, so I, I, that that brings to mind like some of the the, <laughs> the parent scenes around like. Uh, there's there's a, a great scene where uh, a woman and her kind of her uh, husband's coworker maybe or brother it's a little confusing he's called uncle um, in in part of the scene are having an affair um, so this woman yeah. and 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 her husband's for sure coworker board board member co board member are having an affair and they just kind of just kind of finished doing so um, and he's trying to leave uh, quickly because he hears a car coming up and it's in fact her son it's kind of surprising her and yeah. there's there's so much unsaid in that scene so much oh, under the bridge so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's so as an actor, there are so many beautiful moments between in between that you can play with of just the the silence that all the things that you know are being said in their heads. But oh, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 palpable. Like there's there's times in this play when you're laughing out loud, and there's times mm-hmm. in this scene where you're kind of, or in this play where you're kind of like crunching up and like oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to like hang in there. Yeah, and it really shows how complicated we are as humans because there's just yeah, so many different stories, so many different relationships, so many ways you can play some of those dynamics too. And yeah, it makes me jealous of the actors who got to do it this yeah. summer because directing it was a blast, but I would love to be a part of it sometime as an actor. Cause I mean, you get to do so many different things. <laughs> you get to play so many different roles. Yeah. Yeah. You got, there's, I think there is something like 50 different characters in this play and, and the, the script does come with say, or comes saying that there should be six actors to do those 50 roles. Mm. So yeah, you get to, as a, as an actor, you get to kind of play play so many different perspectives you get to play regardless of age at least as the as the roles are kind of split up um mm-hmm. you can you yeah you get to play a variety of ages and get to physicalize things differently and play with all sorts of motivations i love the the, the architect scene um there's an architect who is like coming in and uh trying to convince this psychiatrist to turn the dining room into a uh into his office yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that scene that like you can see the psychiatrist isn't really on board with it necessarily, but I think the architect is almost more fascinating to look at in that scene. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had- and that scene is also one of those where it's like going they're measuring while another scene is happening at the table. They're like measuring the walls. Yeah. During that. Yeah, like a tape measure kind of is is invading the space of the other scene that is happening and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the the architect just like has this passion to rid the world of the dining room. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But but uh yeah, how you play that whether and and whether any of these characters uh in all of these scenes have any connection to any of the other scenes is an interesting question. Um because yeah. there's uh, as I said there's 11 little vignettes in the first act, there's seven in the second act. Um and and played by all the same, you know, actors, but I I wonder what do you yeah, what do you think? Is there is there connection points between the different vignettes the different characters any through line between or are they are they kind of separate meant to be separate and and apart i think they're meant to be separate there is a a second showing of annie the maid um but i i think that you could well depending on what research you did as an audience member coming in you might come in and think that everything must be intertwined because that's what you come in to expect typically at a show but if you if you go into it that mindset, I think you're going to get pretty confused because <laughs> you're not going to. I don't think that they connect. But do you have a different perspective? I, I agree with you. I think I think the 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 through line is the table. The through line is yeah. the room. Um, right. And and maybe like it's interesting to think about, you know, it being the same house, maybe. But even that starts to kind of bleed into a zone that's like. I don't know. I don't like, I don't know if all this right. could happen in the same house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think that that's the main through that. I, I think it's fascinating that Annie is the only specifically called for repeating character that you get some history with. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, the casting of Ruth is uh, similar to the casting of the mother. I'm, I should, I should have double checked that before I just went and said it, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep with it at this point. Great. So, Love it. <laughs> um, so, so I think that there's the, there's the possibility that that family is still a unit of some sort or so you get, you get Annie as this bracket for the play, which is right. interesting. 
Like what? Why focused on why focus on Annie, who is kind of a, a maid, um, in or a domestic help for sure. Um, right. Why why is she the bracket for this play? I I don't know. Yeah. I really don't. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah. I would sound so much smarter at this point. <laughs> I don't know, but that's one of the beautiful things about theater, isn't it? Where you can just not know sometimes, or you can kind of create your own story with that, like of the why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is like this. This play leaves like lots of conversations afterwards. There's lots of ways to kind of interpret scenes and get into get into some of the the kind of magic of of what we experience together. Because because mm-hmm. yeah, that's I mean, one of the really fun things about this sort of ever fluid I loved your analogy of like the next wave is like coming back uh, up as as the next one is receding um that's that's like I don't know in the reading of it and and the little bit that I got to see of the TV production that's like half of the fun for me is just kind of being yeah. on this ride for so long yeah like what's gonna happen who's gonna come in next are they a part of this scene or is a new one forming like it's yeah it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat a little bit mm-hmm. yeah and will, will will anyone ever like from another scene like come back around or talk to another person um and and the magic of you know many of the actors at least uh being of not the ages that they're playing there's mm-hmm. there's uh a scene with uh four children around the table that uh that that is just fascinating to watch you know adult actors get to jump into those roles as children and then also play like grandpa or grandma in the next scene yeah and not have much time to like you can't use makeup like there's no time to do age makeup or like really put on a wig and i i think there's some notes from the playwright that say like the the props and costumes and set like that's not what this is about it's about the dining room table, obviously, and the like relationships and discussions that surround it. And so I think that's really cool. Because if you look at the props list, have you looked at that? It is huge. It's robust. Yeah. (laughs) It is robust, let me tell you. (laughs) And we even like, I remember looking at that when we were um, writing the props list and just trying to distinguish, you know, what do we have? What would we need to look for? And then being like, you know what? In the script, like he says, like it doesn't matter. It, it, we don't need to have all of these utensils that are very specific, and that's not what this is about. And we do not, definitely, do not need to have real food because that's that's not what this is about, and that will take away from the story of what's happening and the dialogue. So I I personally love when stuff happens that way because your your audience is yeah more focused on on what they should be focused on, which is the story. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Rather than like trying to figure out how a turkey gets to be there every night or, yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, you get to focus on the action of the story. And, and even then that, that even allows some of the props, like um, the, the dishware, for instance, to serve a pretty, an even height, more heightened role. Cause people can still interact with the dishware in one scene. There's a great scene where this uh, nephew uh, comes over to his his aunt's house. I think it's Tony and Aunt Harriet. And Tony shows up. He's like in an anthropology class that he hasn't he hasn't told his aunt yet that he's in an anthropology class. And he just says, oh, yes, I wanted to like take <laughs> pictures of, of you like showing your dishware. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and she starts out so proud and then gradually just like, what? What? 
come again <laughs> yeah he figures out i love the the i love the kind of death knell that drops when he says oh it's for an anthropology class she's like oh <laughs> an anthropology <laughs> class <laughs> it's like what does that have to do with us he's like well our culture is dying uh, <laughs> and he just yeah, like, kind oh, of obliviously man. steamrolls through it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> But yeah, something oh, like that so scene allows the dishes to shine. The, and then you get to see right. them kind of come back around. The, there's a beautiful scene at the end um, where uh, Har- it's between Harvey and his son, Dick, and they are talking about Harvey's funeral. Um, <sighs> such a powerful scene. And uh, I'll, I'll come back to it in just a second because I'd love to hear your thoughts on the scene in general. But all the while that scene is happening, they're like setting up this white dinner, like uh, dinner table with candles and all the things behind them. And that's just a fascinating contrast for what is mm-hmm. a really powerful scene all on its own. Yeah. Yeah. But what so so that that scene really beautiful. Uh, Harvey is kind of recounting his 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 wants for his funeral um and and trying to give it to his trying to give it to his son who is maybe sometimes oblivious to to the gravity of what what his dad is dealing with but i just think there's so much going on in that scene beyond like just talking about a funeral he's talking about kind of culture too that is dying with him yeah and we chose to play this like they just kept missing each other so we had them sitting like downstage center uh, well, we did this in the thrust too, but we had them like kind of downstage center where everyone could still see them, if that makes sense. Um, and just facing out towards the audience. And that's where they're looking at the birds, right? He's wanting him to yeah, see yeah. the birds that are out there. And um, yeah, we just, I don't know if this will make sense over podcast, but we had, um, you know, whenever one person would look over at the other the other one wasn't really aware and then it would, they would just miss each other in their connection. And at the end he is showing his son, uh, like a picture of himself from, I can't remember what it is, but he talks about it. And then we have him, he's like sitting facing the picture and then just slowly, um, tries to pass it without looking at his son slowly tries to pass it. And the son is looking out. And just doesn't, just misses it. Oh, and man. So the dad just, like, puts it back. And I don't know, it was just, uh, it just is heart-wrenching because they both have these strong feelings, like, for each other and for their family, but they're just not really able to communicate it. And then you have him walking out slowly at the end. I, I think that's written in the script where he just gets up and slowly with his cane. Mm-hmm. Just, walks out and even just that moment where you can have the son turn and want to say something and then doesn't and then the father turns and doesn't see his son look back at him <laughs> and keeps going and they just miss each other again and it uh yeah kills you just freaking kills you oh man yeah that that sort of that sort of kind of missed moment of connection uh, is just heartbreaking, especially in that last scene where, where yeah, he's he's certainly lamenting the loss of the or the future loss of his life and trying to get his son to connect with it. But even like some of the some of the like the there's 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 back and forth there too between the two of them because the son he he asks his son if he'll speak at his at his funeral and the son's like you know I guess I'll speak at your funeral sure and then then he 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 says okay. Great. Glad you're speaking at it. 
but you're not going to like make wise <laughs> wisecrack comments. Yeah, or but don't like do that. it this way because yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many like rules, uh, unspoken rules, and then that that then get spoken, get get kind of uh, placed on this younger generation, especially of of the kind of wasp community. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the other, the other big miscommunications or mischances at communication is whatever this tradition was, whatever nostalgia is there for this tradition, it somehow missed getting passed down mm -hmm. to a lot of these other younger characters who, who just don't hold it the same way as the older ones do. Yeah. All that like unmet expectations, but no communication of what the expectations are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or like yeah. why it's important even like there's yeah like, <laughs> why why please tell me why <laughs> yeah there's this there's this great scene where uh, the let's see I'm, it's it's one of those all in numbers uh, where Standish I think is his name is like got word that his brother was insulted down at at his uh, at his okay club. yes yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and he like storms into the room. They the, he finds out that various members of the club made fun of his brother for being. I mean, in 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 the words of the script, this is a dated script, so forgive me for for being a fruit. Um. Mm -hmm. uh, so so and his his relationships uh, outside of work is what he says. So it's clear, pretty clear through the uh through the course of the action of this play that he's talking about his brother, who is likely a gay man, and some of the members of the club made fun of him for it. And so right. he like gets the call, comes into the dining room and beyond like just, you know, there's there's some great kind of uh, familial love and honor being talked about, but it's being talked about in such a way that he's like marshalling himself for his demise. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I wish I had that scene right in front of me because there are some gold lines, like just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I wish I could remember what they were. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some really great ones like there's he's. He's saying like if 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 I were to just ignore this and sit down at my table and and kind of be with you all, uh, I would <laughs> I wouldn't be able to to correct you on your grammar. He's yeah. talking to his son, <laughs> or I wouldn't be able to kiss my wife goodbye. And he then kisses his wife goodbye. Um, it's like <laughs> all of this this kind of really ridiculous, um, absolutely hyping ridiculous. himself up to go defend his brother. <laughs> And, uh, and the family honor in a way like that's another part of this like culture that Gurney is kind of trying to illuminate is there's a lot of assumed honor, especially mm -hmm. in the older generation of of this community. Right. There's so so let's 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 pivot just a little bit and and talk about um, some of the, the kind of bigger themes that are that that work their way into these scenes. There's there's we're, we're getting down to like the, the, the second half of the podcast and there's no way we'll be able to talk about all the scenes because there's just so many. But I wonder yes. what scenes still stick out for you as you think back or what themes still stick out for you from the plethora of scenes in this play that still like because there's 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 so much. Um, like I took, we, we talk about a retinal image on this podcast sometimes. Like when you close your eyes after having seen a play, you're still mm. you still see a scene in your in your eyes as as you as you think about it. All right, what 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 moments kind of stand out for you amongst amongst the various scenes of this play? Mm, yeah, thank you for telling me to close my eyes. That yeah, it was great. A great great little trick. Um, <laughs> I. I think it depends on your personal experience because when you said that and, and what stuck out to me is the one with the families and their, the family with the um, grandmother who has Alzheimer's because yeah. both my grandmothers had Alzheimer's. 
Um, and so it, it's just such a, a painful scene when you've experienced something like that of someone losing their memories and, and maybe losing their memory of you specifically. Um, and so I think just depending on who you are and what your experiences are, different scenes are going to stick out, which makes this show so special, I think, because everyone's going to have something different that they pull from it or some, something that makes them feel maybe less alone even. Um, but yeah, that scene specifically stands out to me, uh, just kind of what that looks like for a family going through something like that. And it, and it definitely gives empathy maybe to those who have not experienced something like that, kind of what that looks like behind closed doors. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely the, the one that I think of first. What about you? Yeah. Do you have one? Yeah, I do. I want to, I want to touch on that scene first though. Cause I, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a beautiful scene um, mm -hmm. where there's, I mean, there's just so much um, inferred pain um, at, at this loss that they're going through. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the mother is there and she, uh, is kind of happy to be there, but she doesn't remember why she's there or what, what she's doing there. And just seeing the family try so hard to, to have her remember. Um, and then the added, so, so the, the scene progresses, they try, they like sing a family number that they did together and still can't quite get her to remember. Um, and she eventually just asks to go home, assumedly to her childhood home. And you hear the conversation of the siblings all saying, like, there's an office building there. I guess we could go down with her and show her the office building again. And they leave they, to do so because they're like they're they're. I think the care of these siblings for their mother is really apparent. And then the, I think it's the wives of the siblings are left in the room. All the, all the siblings are all, all boys and they're and they're like and they they grapple with both the kind of alarmingness of the situation but also their being left um yeah alone uh, as a result of that care which i think is just another fascinating level to that scene it is fascinating because i mean i'm i'm gonna really get into this right now i Go guess for but it. like so my grandpa my dad's father took care of my grandma when she had alzheimer's and um he visited her every day twice a day um, which is amazing. It's an amazing thing to witness. Um, really beautiful, the love that he had for her. Um, but I was really young. I was a kid and I had, you know, like different plays and I had marching bands and like my grandpa was not like, I didn't really know my grandpa very well because he was constantly caring for, and not to say that was like a bad thing. Of, of course, it's amazing that he cared for her, but just, I guess the, the, like, time consuming and how it affects a lot more than just the, you know, the two people in that relationship, if that makes sense. Like the, the ripples that a disease like that creates for everyone. It's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, that, that sort of, and that sort of like identification with the story and the resonance that you felt from it, um, and still carry with you. And, and, and the way that the play continues to do that throughout many of the other scenes is just, it, it, it's 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 an, a highly impactful play that surprises you with yeah. its impactfulness. Yeah, because each scene is really quick. I mean, how many scenes are there all together? Like, I think eighteen different. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so they're really not very long, and so the amount that they're able to impact you or make you laugh, like in such a short amount of time, and being introduced to these characters quickly and 
you know, normally it's harder to connect with a character if you don't have much time with them. But I feel like somehow this show, you're, you, you're, you're thrown right in and depending on your life experience, you may be able to connect and latch on like super quickly. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right on saying that like some of that juxtaposition helps with that. Cause one minute you're engaging, you're engaging uh, a, a fairly comedic scene where like there's a bunch of people running around or kids running around. There's a scene where, um, where, uh, this, this, uh, this nanny is kind of talking to the boy that she is nannying and he's, he's losing mm-hmm. it over the fact that she's going to move on. <laughs> yeah. So you have this like, you know, at least, you know, kind of an awe sort of scene, um, where, where you're, you're, you're kind of on a little bit lighter mode of, of engaging. And then you're kind of nailed with this, like this, the scene that we were just talking about that you brought up is the last scene of act one. So that's your act mm-hmm. break. If you do an act break, it's a short play. Um, yeah. But but yeah, that's that's your moment to kind of sit in for for a little bit and and you kind of grapple with with the weight of what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. D- did you have one that like stands out to you or two or however many? Yeah, we've, we've talked about a couple of them already. I love the scene at the end with with uh, Harvey and, and, and his son where he's trying to like reveal reveal his obituary and his funeral. I thought that was that's a really powerful scene. Um the 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 scene that one one of the big ones that stands out to me that we haven't talked about yet is the scene where um, I'm trying to find the right one here. It's one with a bunch of kids in it. Um, I think that's gonna be yeah okay. So it's uh, between Peggy and Ted are the adults, um, and then there there's a bunch of kids over who are all there for uh, I think Peggy's daughter's birthday. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ted comes over, who is uh, one of the other kids' parents. He's there to pick up Billy once once uh, he's going to leave. And that it becomes clear that Ted and Peggy are having an affair. And they begin kind of talking about it um, in the corners of this birthday party that is going on. And and she, uh, it becomes clear that uh, Ted's wife is aware of the affair and is kind of making them make some choices. And she, like, uh, teaches her daughter, Winky, to make a wish over her birthday candles by, like, placing her wedding ring around a candle and also making the wish. Um, She doesn't say what the wish is because, of course, that's one of the rules in this family is you don't say what the wish is, otherwise it won't come true. Um, But that image is so, so uh, evocative um, of -hmm. of kind of where where this where this couple is that, that are in an affair together. And then also there's there's a subsequent scene where one of the children like brings her her ring back. She's like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot it on the candle. Um, Yeah. It just says so much um, with with some pretty, pretty straightforward action and and all while like trying to teach children how to have a birthday party. Oh, yeah. That's like such an interesting scene because there's so much left unsaid, too, I think, between the two. And then also, yeah, the juxtaposition of like the craziness happening kind of behind them with the party. And oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a it, great scene. There's 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 so many great little like um like it, like there's it's not an overly romantic play. Um and yet there are a number of scenes like that in it. There's the great scene with the uh like the table repair guy is over. Um yes. and and uh he's like in, inspecting the table and uh trying to kind of figure out what's what's going on with it and or cuz it's it's shaking and rocking and all these sorts of things. And they kind of like find each other the 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 owner of the house i'm forgetting the names again i have like there's uh, so many paul names. and marjorie thank you yes paul and marjorie so paul the table repair guy is over and marjorie owns the table and the house 
and they kind of go on this like discovery journey together. Uh, Marjorie is recently apparently broken up with her husband. She refers to him as her ex-husband or, and, uh, and they, he's like inspecting the table and says, here, look at this as he's under the table. And she's like, I've never been under a table before. It's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those stereotypical, like two people drops or one person drops something and the two people go to pick it up and their hands touch kind of a yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. It's one of those like delightful scenes where like it's uh, like, for most of the play, the table becomes this big thing, right? Because action must rotate around this table for the most part. People are pulling out chairs from it. People are moving around it. It's this, like, obstruction. And then you, like, uh, subvert that obstruction. And, like, yeah. going under the table, it becomes a very tight space, a very confined space where these two people are, like, looking at different things, looking at the date of the table and and uh, kind of, yeah, just getting <laughs> getting physically closer, but also emotionally closer together as mm -hmm. a result of it. Yeah, it also creates a really difficult thing with sight lines <laughs> <laughs> when depending on where you place the table and chairs and all that. That yeah. was an interesting thing to overcome. It ended up working out, but it's kind of fun to to do something that you're not expecting. When you see the table on stage, you're expecting everyone to just sit around it. So Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The the kind of legs <laughs> and, and then how to light underneath the table too. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. That that we, we should talk a little bit about the tech in the show, because there's there's some kind of interesting notes about like the day. Like we experience all of these scenes over the course of a day, um, which kind of makes us go very wibbly wobbly, timey wimey about this whole experience. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's some kind of specific calls for lighting design to be like um, like light coming through. The fourth wall is essentially French doors and and lights supposed to come through them to represent different times of the day. The kind of final scene or near the final scene with uh, Harvey talking about his funeral is at night. The kind of final dinner party is at night. And the first one is morning. A lot of breakfast scenes and stuff like that in the early part of the play. So, yeah, so and I, I think I are the lights, what? the lights are out when the teens come in. When the two teen girls come in, aren't the lights out yeah. for that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's starting to move move towards night there. So so I, I I don't know. Like what do you think? <laughs> what do you think about like is is there what sort of symbolism there um around around the, the, the passage of a day as we watch these eighteen scenes? Oh man, that's interesting. That makes me want to read it again. Like I wonder if the time of day helps determine like how connected the characters are or mm, like I don't know. Yeah. That I need to read it again now, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to think about it. And so yeah, connection with other characters or like what sort of things they're doing at time of day. Um, but also like the kind of meta. So like if you zoom way back on, it, it's like, this is the sunset of this culture. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of start, you start with these scenes with the family, uh, kind of the father doing a poor job of trying to instill similar virtues onto his children um, uh, and you see, especially Charlie in that scene, his son resists a lot of the virtues that he's trying to give to him and kind of react, react, behave in a way that gets his father what he wants, but not in a way that like displays passion necessarily around it. And then through the play, you continue to see these chances being missed or, or communications being missed, uh, to kind of pass yeah. on the values all the way to the sunset or the, the final dinner party of it. Oh, dang. <laughs> Those are great thoughts jackson 
Do you think that the playwright was critiquing the younger generation? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, or poking fun. I mean, or all the above, like poking fun at his generation and above. And like, yeah, there's just a lot packed into this. So yeah. it's hard to say. I, I think there's a fascinating way you could take like uh, cer certainly there's poking fun at all the generations in this um, and right. kind of and ma making fun of making fun of uh, making light of or or kind of dealing with 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 things in a comedic light. Um, I wonder if there isn't a a subtle critique of the younger generation, but I don't know that there is a uh, a less pronounced uh, critique of the older one. I right. think it's almost yeah. like it's almost like an anthropologist <laughs> coming to this situation and saying, I mean, here's here's what I see. I see like <laughs> all sorts of people missing, miscommunicating with each other and and mm -hmm. chances being missed. And and this thing that is special that creates something really special for a group of people, this dining room, this chance to sit around and eat together and talk is not being passed on. And and whose fault it is, is maybe left for the audience to de to decide after right. the play yeah do you think that we as a culture and society like are losing that aspect of sitting around a table and having community yeah absolutely i mean to some to some degree certainly uh um i i i think it'd be interesting to look like this this play like sends you off on a whole other uh, uh, set of research, basically, like, is this like American culture that has kind of moved in this direction, specifically white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture that has moved away from the table as the gathering point? Because um, if you look at other American cultural perspectives, there's still a lot of like gathering around uh, around food and things like that. So so I, th I, I think I think uh, it certainly provides at least for me, this moment of, oh, I do spend a lot of time eating a meal while watching something or right. not connecting with people. But but that that's I mean, that's just my perspective. How, how does it strike you with the uh, is is it? Yeah. How does it land in your experience of the American cultural moment, especially around wasps in general? Yeah, I think the like glorification of busy is a huge thing. Um, yeah. Which, you know, during quarantine, I think that maybe shed some light on that. But somehow, I think we've kind of bounced back a little too quickly to go, go, go. Um, but yeah, just like not having time to sit down and cook a nice meal. It's a lot of, you know, heating up food or um, going out to eat real quick or like the drive through or, you know, on your way from one thing to another um, and then, yeah, having like phones and TVs to distract you while you're eating. Um, I think also like, and again, this is just my experience, but because, you know, being involved in theater and like, you know, school and all those things work all at the same time, I'm used to like kind of shoveling all the food in my mouth and then <laughs> just going to the next thing. And that's really sad because um, there's so much that can happen around a dining room table or wherever you are, but just being able to actually either spend some intentional time with yourself and like shut everything else out and just enjoy your meal and be able to, you know, think a little bit. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or if there's somebody else in the room being able to enjoy that togetherness and community and yeah, not, not missing those communication opportunities. Yeah. Like so many do in this show. Mm -hmm. so. One, the, the the scene that like that that specifically makes me think of is like grandfather and I think Nick 
is the name of his of his grandson who like comes over to ask him for money to go to college. Oh um, yeah. In 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 uh, another town, kind of upper upper northeast uh, of 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 America, somewhere in like I think like Pennsylvania ish area maybe. Um, and and he comes over to his grandfather's house, and the grandfather like sits down and is like, "Wait, who are you again? <laughs> like, or or <laughs> yeah. which one? Which one do you want? Do you want the car, or is it? Or are you wanting to go on vacation? I forget which one you want. Everyone wants something from me." Which, like, both of those things together, like, give you two double punches, right? Grandfather doesn't know his grandkid. Miscommunication. Mm-hmm. People only talk to grandfather when they need money. Another yeah. miscommunication. Um, and, and and much of the grandfather's uh, desire is for his someone in his family to stay around, to stay mm-hmm. in communication, to stay as a part of the family, to gather for a meal or something like that, not just when you need money from me. Um, so, so that, that sort of, that sort of, uh, longing goes, goes, uh, inferred, I guess, through much Mm -hmm. of the play rather than explicitly asked for. Um, so, so yeah, I, I feel that throughout all of the scenes of this play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much packed in there. There's so much packed in. We're, We're coming down to the end of our time. Sadly, we can't like talk about all of the different things, but is there anything else that like you just like. Would would feel sad if was not mentioned um, from from this play that that just that uh, that that still stands out either that retinal image or something like that or a theme that you really love from it. Mm, I feel like we've covered everything I was really hoping to. Um, kind of looking through the scenes here just to double check. Uh, anything that you feel like we haven't touched. I think we've talked about so, so much of the like the, the I was so glad that you kind of brought in the the miscommunication aspect of it, because that's especially in reading the play. We like to talk about a lot about the virtues of reading plays on this podcast, because that's what we wind up doing quite a bit, especially in COVID tide. Um, yeah. But that's something that I think was possibly missed in my first read of it. And then like after I watched parts of it and then read it again, I was like, oh, there's so much like missed chances that you only get with facial expressions. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the moments in between. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's, uh, otherwise it, it does read as kind of this like, Oh, kind of uptight <laughs> upper middle-class families having these interactions. Um, but without, but with, with the connection, with the human connection or lack of connection, it hits you on a whole different level, kind of right in, right in the gut. Mm-hmm. And you, and you feel that a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, is there anything that sticks out to you about the last scene of the show? Like, did you like how it ended? Did it feel complete? Because there's so much going on and then without like a a full story starting from the beginning and then going towards the end, like, did you realize it was the end? Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, I had I had uh, some mixed feelings about the last scene. Uh, the last scene. Tell so, me, oh, we have to talk about it now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So the so the last scene has Annie in it, right? The only the only recurring character by name right. in it, and she has this. She's retiring. She's like being doing this last um, event, and we find out in the scene that the these events really only happen through people like Annie. Um, through the the people mm. the, the the who people who are hired on as domestic help or who are maids but who carry the traditions of this sort of table set 
and and the way that it all works to the point that Ruth in this scene is even saying like you can just bring out butter squares and Annie's like no 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 I'm bringing out butter balls um yeah <laughs> uh so so we get a little bit of that in that scene but then she's she's kind of gone I just wanted more I I, I, <laughs> I want it it's it's interesting that the final monologue goes to Ruth and not to Annie. Um, yeah. So, but with that said, even as much as I longed for Annie to kind of give us a send off sort of monologue, having the six of them or having Ruth embody that monologue and then the six of them coming in as if nothing is wrong and kind of toasting to us or whatever the, I think that's the, the final, the final toast that is given at the end of the play shows that like, that sort of lack of awareness of the sunset, lack of awareness of that what they have is 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 kind of going away or receding mm. in some sense. So I, I had mixed feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I realized we didn't talk much about like the treatment of the maids throughout the show and how like that seemed to be pretty consistent of just like not really looking or paying attention, just demand, demand, demand. Um yeah. Not really seeing that person as a person, except for the child. Um, who is that? Yeah. Is that um, Aggie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Augie. Or Michael. Ag- and Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Michael and Aggie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if we had more time, we could unpack that a little bit sure, more. Sure. Let's but... go for it. We got a little bit more time. Let's do it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a huge theme in this play. So many of yeah. those different roles, um, just kind of being on the sidelines and being forced mm-hmm. to the sidelines. Yeah, and like you said, all of these um, beautiful breakfasts and dinners like wouldn't happen. That community or, or opportunity for community wouldn't be possible without them. And yeah, just the fact like I think the grandpa, I'm forgetting his name, during one of the scenes at the beginning where he's just demanding things like off the cuff and not uh, connecting with her as a person at all, just... I don't know. Yeah, that seems pretty consistent throughout. Mm -hmm. And then to see it kind of uh, returned or or Annie's for the most part, these these characters kind of roll with the punches um, uh, that that are being thrown out by these these pretty privileged folks. But then the final scene, you see Ruth um, uh, try to give Annie a hug and Annie like receives the hug. But the stage directions call for her to be kind of like distant from it. And mm-hmm. I think that that little bit of commentary uh, through again, through the action of the play, through facial expressions is kind of what we need at the end. of the, yeah. so, so it's it's I, I, I don't mind feeling a little bit uh, conflicted about that last scene, because I think we're kind of supposed to just a little. bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's the great thing about this show, that there's one so much to unpack and two like you can feel conflicted throughout several of these scenes. It's true. It's true. There's so much more that we could unpack. Uh, alas, we are, we are coming down to the end of our time. Uh, fortunately, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, the conversation does not have to stop here. We'd love to keep talking about this play with all of you out there in podcast land. Um, you can find no script on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at no script podcast. We also have a Gmail, no script podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about the dining room with you. And we'd love it if you would share the show with people that you know. Um, If you like 
plays and like talking about plays. It's likely that you know people who like talking about plays. And uh, honestly, all you all uh, inviting people to uh, listen to the show as well is part is is a huge reason, the main reason how this show continues to be listened to by people. So thank you all so much for that. Continue sharing it with your friends. And thank you, Jana, for coming on the show today. I am honored. This has been a blast. I'm so glad that you said yes and that you brought this script for us to talk to uh, or talk, talk about. We talked to the script, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks for all the theater work that you're still doing down there. You said you have a couple shows coming up, right? Yes, I'm directing Macbeth um, and then Les Mis. So Les Mis is like, I've worked on Macbeth before. Les Mis, I have not. And it is a dream show to direct. I'm really excited. So if you're in the Kansas City area, hit me up and I'll give you the, give you the deets. Fantastic. I so wish that would be a fun show to come down and see if there was one to travel down to see. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Janet. It was a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So next week, we're coming down to the end of our season here. Just a couple uh, different shows left. We've got a couple more plays coming your way, but we'll be back at you with another script. Until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you for listening to No Script, the podcast. <laughs>